Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Esther how God allowed Mordecai to find out about King Ahasuerus' assassination plot and be vindicated in the end. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of this song, Lord, how it touches our heart to realize that you came because of love. Lord, how it so thrills us to realize that we don't have to do because it's been done. Lord, we thank you so much that your invitation of come is to us. And we thank you, Lord, that as these young Christians, Lord, stood and told us about how wonderful it is to be able to say, mine, mine, all mine. We thank you, Lord. It's not religious. It's not philosophical. It's reality. We thank you, Lord, for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I almost feel like they preached the message. Uh, But anyway, we have another one. So if you turn to Esther chapter 3. Esther chapter 3. And this uh, uh, chapter here, as God wants to speak to us this morning about his servants and their examples for our lives. Please follow along here in Esther chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. After these things did King Ahasuerus promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, uh, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. And all the king's servants that were with him in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Then the king's servants, which were in the king's gate, said unto Mordecai, Why transgressest thou the king's commandment? Now it came to pass when they spoke daily unto him, and he hearkened not unto them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's matters would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Then, or And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, even the people of Mordecai, in the first month, that is, the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast her, that is, the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. And Haman said unto King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad, dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it's not for the king's profit to suffer them. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver could be estimated to be $10 million, to the hands of those that have the charge of the king's business, to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from off his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jew's enemy. And the king said unto Haman, the silver is given to thee and the people also to do with them as thou seemest good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors that were over every province and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof and to every people after their language in the name of King Ahasuerus was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by post into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and cause to perish all Jews both young and old, little children and women. And one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey, a copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. 
The post went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Now, in our last time together, remember we read those three words in verse 2 that really characterized the life of Mordecai, and those were really words that showed his uncompromising spirit, and those were the words, Mordecai bowed not. Mordecai bowed not when the king gave the commandment. Mordecai is one of the heroes of this book, along with Esther. And we see in him there is a struggle. Because when you turn back, and if you would please do the chapter before, Esther 2, 21 through 23. And keep in mind, there were no chapter divisions when the book of Esther was written. That was added uh, about a thousand years ago. But so you really read the book as a continuum. And so look at verses 21 through 23. It says... Chapter 2, in those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Mordecai loved the king. He loved King Ahasuerus. He hated evil, and not everyone loved the king Ahasuerus, as we see here, because there were two inside the king's government, very close to the king. These two men, Big Than and Teresh, they wanted to kill the king. And when Mordecai found out that these two, who were within the government, they were born Persian, that he found out that they were planning an assassination without even thinking of what might happen to him. In verse 23, it says when inquisition was made, that meant that there was an investigation. And that was a tough time for Mordecai. I mean, think about it. Who was Mordecai? I mean, Mordecai was not a Persian. He was one of the captive, despised Jews. And he was accusing, what was he doing? He was accusing Big Thang and Teresh of treason against the king. And who were Bigthan and Teresh? They were trusted king's officials. They were the officials of the king. They were responsible for keeping the access to the king. You had to go through them to get to the king. So who had the better chance to be believed? A captive, despised Jew who had no position within the government, not born a Persian, or two of the most trusted men in the king's government. This was very risky business for Mordecai to stick his neck out because if those two men who were trusted by the king had been successful in a cover-up and they got through the investigation, then Mordecai would have been killed for falsely accusing the king's officials. So Mordecai had some good reason to think twice before he did this. But he didn't, not Mordecai. And we admire that in him. Because as soon as he found out about this assassination plot to kill the king, as soon as he found out, he immediately exposed the assassins. Now, during the investigation, we can just kind of imagine Mordecai, what Mordecai was going through. We kind of imagine him sweating it out during the time when this is all being looked into. Because he was faced with possibly a very terrible outcome if they were found innocent. And the time for Mordecai was just to wait, just to wait. Because he didn't know how how it was going to come out. He didn't have any guarantee. You ever had to wait through something like that? 
You ever had to be in a time when it's a really tough time to do that? I mean, what do, you, what do you do when you're faced with possibly a very bad outcome and all you can do is just wait to find out? You know, I, I remember getting that call from our attorneys in January 2002 that they had been looking over whatever they look over and had discovered in that month of January 2002 that the $6 billion company, Quest Diagnostics, had just sued us in federal court for patent infringement. Now, I knew that Quest was a little angry with me because I was accusing them and their subsidiary of potentially killing 500,000 dialysis patients. Apart from that, we had a great relationship (laughs) through a faulty test and um, through overdoses, uh, potentially fatal overdoses of vitamin D. But they didn't sue me for liable because six years later, they and their subsidiary took a felony plea of we deceived and we intentionally deceived. So to silence me, they launched this what was really a frivolous lawsuit, but it didn't seem so frivolous to me at the time. And they had said all throughout it, look, we can settle this. It'll just take a mere hundred million dollars. We could settle it, which was just a little bit more than I had. (laughs) Barely had a million dollars in the bank, the company. And our attorneys ended up costing us eight million dollars to defend ourselves. I couldn't really tell sometime who was our enemies, our attorneys or the quest. But anyway, and so Harris stood, standing out, was a business that built for 25 years to build. And many of you here in the chapel remember the days of starting off. I can still remember going to the back wall there and starting the business, and this dear older saint lady came up to me, and she said, I have $25 I want to give you to start the business. It was so precious. Never forget that. Anyway, so what was going to happen? You know, we've been sued. How do you wait it out? Oh, the first thing I do, of course, is get on the phone. That's what always, was always what I do whenever there's trouble. I get on the phone. And so I call Pastor Jim, and he gives me a verse. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment. And I had one. Thou shalt condemn. I was waiting for that. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I wrote that verse down, and I kept it in my pocket, And for five long years, I took it out and I read it. I read it to God. And I said, Lord, do you remember you said these things in this verse? And Lord, can I just remind you of the word no? No weapon that is formed against you prosper. Lord, you didn't say most, as in most weapons that are formed against you shall not prosper. But you said no, no weapon. Now, Lord... I'm your servant, and I know that I'm not righteous in myself. That's no big revelation. But you said that when it comes to accusing me of not being righteous, you said, Lord, that you step in between and you say, you've got a problem with his righteousness, his righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So I said, Lord, that's your department. That's your department, so the righteousness. And then I, I had just a, a perfect peace through it all. That's why I had a coronary stent and gained 100 pounds. <laughs> Apart from that, perfect peace. <laughs> it was a real tough five years, let me tell you. And in and out of court with a most memorable, honorable Justice Rudy Brewster, who our expert witness, Dr. Richard Lerner, who was the president of Scripps Research Foundation, said one day as he came out of court, he said he was convinced that our judge had been fired from Sesame Street two weeks ago. <laughs> 
It was kind of funny, but not funny. Uh, I won't go into all of it. So how do you survive during a time of an unknown verdict? Really, the pressure is on. With that verse, I realized that it was necessary to go through that because that was a process which the Lord Jesus Christ was going to use to show himself strong. And I realize now, and I look back on it, and I never want to go through that again, but I realize, looking back on it, I realize, wow, there were some great things that were seen that came as a result of that. We went through five years. We finally won the case, as many of you know, with the jury voting in our favor, in spite of the fact that the judge had dismissed Dr. Lerner and all the expert witnesses, and told the court, including the jury, that though he had never had any biology or chemistry classes in high school, he had seen a most informative movie, and that if we all watched this movie, we would have all the science we needed to decide the case, which was The Incredible Voyage, with Raquel Welsh riding around the body on a blood corpuscle. So we won the case after a five-week trial. Very, very unusual for patent cases to go to court. They usually settle. And as a matter of fact, when it came to the time of the trial, I just about fainted when I saw 15 attorneys from our group's office show up at the court, and I said, are we paying for them? <laughs> and they said, no, you've got to understand, they never have seen patent. These are patent attorneys. They've never been in a patent trial. So we won it, and, uh, but then three months later, this memorable judge called us into his chambers and said, I have decided that there was a runaway jury, and though it's only done 1% of the time, he declared us guilty and overturned the jury. But finally, in 2006, we saw the appeals court in D.C. overturn the judge and declared us innocent. So at the end, we looked back and we said, hey, we went into this with less than a million dollars in the bank. Five years, no one was minding the shop. We weren't minding the shop. We were doing mock trials behind one-way mirrors and, and you know, with groups of people. I mean, you know, you have to work to build up an $8 million bill. But we never went to the bank. And God, just during those five years, rained on us unprecedented profits in a business where nobody was minding the shop. And we were taken care of, and we never went to the bank. And we were also in the process of trying to go to the bank to borrow $7 million for our first investment down at Takati, and the bank was not thrilled about loaning us money when they found out we were being sued by a $6 billion company. But God rained that profit on us as well. So we go 25 years, we have less than a million dollars in the bank. We go five years of not minding the shop, and we have $15 million rained on us. So that, that was unusual, to say the least. Then three years later... Well, let me just say that at the end of that time, I sat down after thinking about that with the Lord Jesus Christ, and I said, you took care of the business. It is a little hard on my pride because I thought I was necessary in the business, but that's okay. You took care of it. And then the phrase came to me, you take care of my business, I'll take care of your business. And that changed everything. It never would have happened had not gone through this horrible situation of these five years of really being in a vice, a terrible situation. Then three years later, in 2009, Quest subsidiary Nichols, they took the felony guilty plea for intentional deception, not a misdemeanor, and as a result, they paid the government $302 million. That was three years after we had paid all the other things we had to pay for, including the attorney bills. Why did God allow that to happen? That's the question. Because God wanted to build a personal history. 
to be relied on by me, by others in the future. So I could stand here today and tell you that God is trustworthy. So one year later, when I'm at Grossmont Hospital and they tell me you have cancer, that I could say, you know, from a personal history of Cantor versus Nichols Quest, that I could say it's okay because I know from the Cantor versus Nichols Quest that God is trustworthy and he won't let me down. And why did God allow the Jewish people to become enslaved and to go through a systematic extermination in Egypt? I mean, after all, killing all the firstborn men was a systematic extermination. And that was a tough time for them there because God wanted to build a personal history called the Exodus and the Passover. So that later, when people like you, like me, are in trouble, we can be so immersed in this history of the book of Exodus that we can think back on the time when Egypt versus the Jewish people And we can say, it's okay, because I know that what I'm now facing, that God will be trustworthy as he's been. But see, we miss it all if we don't live in this book. If this book does not become so real to us, we feel, we hear the edict of Pharaoh saying, kill the firstborn men, babies, boys. Why did God allow Mordecai to find out about the assassination plot and to sweat it out during the investigation that made Mordecai very uncomfortable waiting for the outcome because God wanted to build a personal history of Mordecai because he was going to need to rely on this later on. And in this incident of Big Fan and Teresh versus Mordecai, that God was building that personal history because later on, it wasn't going to be Big Fan and Teresh versus Mordecai. It was going to be the whole country of Persia versus all the Jewish people. And in that greater trial, he wanted the Jewish people to have a history and Mordecai to have a history that they could look back on and that they could say, you know what, God will bring us through because I know from history, God is trustworthy. And so, why do we read this book? What is this book? This book is a histories of so-and-so versus God's people. It's just one right after the other. So that when our time comes of great trouble, that we'll have be able to look back on and think on all those histories, and we'll say, it's okay, because I know that in what I'm facing now of this versus me, God will be trustworthy. So those four words in verse 23 were very, very important to Mordecai in chapter 2, verse 23, when it says, and when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. You know what Mordecai said when he heard that? He went, (laughs) it was found out. It was a sigh of relief. He was vindicated. And so that was great, right? Now this is chapter 2. Forget about chapters here. But this is the end of chapter 2. And we're sliding right into chapter 3. And so... How does chapter 3 start? It says, after these things. That's how it starts. After these things. That's exactly the way chapter 2 started. After these things. It wasn't so hard for them to decide where to put the chapter breaks. But it says after these things. But after what things? After what we just talked about. So what does that lead you here? After these things, chapter 3, verse 1, did King Ahasuerus promote Mordecai, right? Because he saved the king. <laughs> That's the way it should be. 
No, he, he promotes the scoundrel, Haman, the Agagite. And so, what is it? It's just not fair. It's not fair. What did Haman do to deserve this advancement, this promotion? Did he stick his neck out? Did he save the king? And here again, it would have been so easy for Mordecai to just say, it's just not the use. But Mordecai did exactly what it says in Psalm 37.5. Mordecai, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. He'll bring it to pass. He'll reward you. He'll promote you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know the famous verse, as a favorite of many people, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. My understanding is that I should be promoted. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. The paths of Mordecai were being directed. He didn't know, but they were being directed because we have the advantage of the book, so we can take the aerial view, which Mordecai couldn't. But Mordecai... He could have stormed into the palace and say, now look, I'm the person that saved the king's life and you honored and promoted the wrong person. I'm the one who deserves to be promoted. Not that no good Haman. See, he could have done that. Or if Mordecai would have blamed God and said, look, why did you let this happen? I risked my life to save the king. And what happens? My enemy gets promoted in place of me. And if Mordecai had done that, then you know what would have happened? God would have just hung his head in shame and said, oh, Mordecai, 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 I thought to promote you. I had a plan for you. But you failed me, Mordecai. You failed me during this time. I tried to count on you. I tried to rely on you, Mordecai. But I bragged about you to others. Now you put me to shame. Now, that would have been terrible. But that's not what happened. Thank God. Thank Mordecai. Also, that's not what happened because that's not the kind of person Mordecai was. Well, why didn't it happen? Because Mordecai looked beyond the immediate to the ultimate. He looked beyond the immediate in front of him to the ultimate, which he knew had not arrived yet. He knew, Mordecai knew that he was caught in this drama, in this play that had an end that he didn't know. But he knew who the author was. He knew God was going to make it come out good. And this was a very humbling experience for Mordecai. Mordecai saw the hand of God in King Ahasuerus, putting him down, so to speak, and raising up his enemy. And Mordecai was willing to then let God humble him. Time, this was what God said to Pharaoh, you know, through Moses. I mean, here is Pharaoh. He has so many plagues, so many judgments which are against him and his people. And with each one of those judgments, each one of those plagues is like a unique opportunity. And God is saying to Pharaoh, I'm giving you a unique opportunity. You know, I don't know how you look at the plagues of Egypt. Maybe you look at the plagues of Egypt as God says, boy, I got 10 of them. I just can't wait to boom, 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 boom. I'm going to pound that guy. That's not the way it was. Every single plague, God spoke like this. He was waiting for Pharaoh to say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. You know, he wanted that. And so it says in Exodus 10, 3, very important verse. Moses and Aaron came unto Pharaoh and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. See what he said? How long will you refuse to humble yourself? That was his in Pharaoh's control. Pharaoh controlled whether or not he would humble himself. 
God controlled the plagues that came down. But Pharaoh controlled his decision as to whether or not he would humble himself. And he told Pharaoh, you are refusing to humble yourself before me. You know, Hezekiah was a great king in Judah. Boy, was he a great king, especially in the time when Sennacherib came against him. Boy, then we saw that man star. Just wonderful leader. And he spread it all out before the Lord and led them. And, but there was a time in Hezekiah's life when his heart got, as it says, lifted up in pride. That was bad. Why? God puts an umbrella around us. And if we stay humble, we stay under the umbrella of his protection. But when we become impressed with ourselves and proud, we step outside that umbrella. And that's what Hezekiah did. And he was lifted up at pride. And he just had the look all that I have done mentality. And as a result of that, God brought trouble on Hezekiah. And in 2 Chronicles 32, 25 through 26, I want to read it to you. It says, but Hezekiah rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him. For his heart was lifted up. Therefore, there was wrath upon him and upon Judah and Jerusalem. Now, here's the great verse. Notwithstanding, Hezekiah humbled himself. I'm going to read it again. Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord came not upon them in the days of Hezekiah. See, Hezekiah made that decision. He would humble himself. He saw the trouble came on him from the hand of God, and he did exactly what Peter said. Peter said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Thank you for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, we have a book to offer you today, The Prophecy and Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, 194 of them written by Tom Cantor. It's a powerful book, and if you didn't get everything you wanted for Christmas, order this book today. And we're offering this book for a donation of $20 or more to support this ministry, 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening, and join us tomorrow.